As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Today's episode of The Leaf Report is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Right, very exciting edition of the Leaf Report podcast. We have our buddy Chris Johnson on from Sportsnet. CJ, what's up? Long time listener, not quite a first time caller, but first time in a long time. Colin, <laughs> good, good to hear your voices, guys. You haven't heard my voice yet. Here we go. What's up, Chris? Not much. Just at home. Yeah, I think we're all doing that. The funny thing is, like, you know where everyone is now which is unusual. Like, you know, people are either at home or I guess getting groceries or you can't really do anything else. So we're going to talk today a little bit about um, some Leaf players who may or may not return next year. Um, But first, is there anything, James, like you want to talk with CJ about first, maybe league stuff, anything you want to ask before we dive into some Leaf talk? Yeah, I mean, I think before we talk about the Leafs, we can just talk about what's happening. And, you know, what's interesting. Chris was one of the first people that said to me, like, the season's going to get canceled. And, like, you were you were really pessimistic really, really early on. And I remember you were – I can't remember when you – I don't know if you said that at the California trip or right after we got back. But I remember you were the first person that said that something's going to happen here really soon. And then it did right away. And I thought, huh, well, I guess 
Chris, you seem to like have an inclination before anybody else that I talked to that something was going to go down. Yeah, I, I think a little bit. I mean, uh, I remember that the, the Leafs played in Anaheim on a Friday, and then we were flying back Saturday, and I had to do headlines. So it was the last hockey night in Canada we did, actually. And I started making calls you know, on the coronavirus at that point and got a, got a sense from people I talked to at the league and with the Players Association that you know, behind the scenes at that point, I think that was maybe four or five days before the season itself got paused, but that they were very concerned about that inevitability. You know, it still probably moved quicker than I thought it would. Um, but this was, this was coming pretty soon. And it's funny because if we fast forward to now, you know, I'm still pretty pessimistic and I'm certainly not pessimistic. as a way of seeing the world. If anything, I'm probably too optimistic half the time, but you know, just, just looking at what the medical professionals are saying, um, I really don't see how they're going to finish this season. I don't even know how we're going to start next season anywhere near on time uh, based on what a lot of the experts have said. You know, I understand what the, the sports leagues are saying. I know behind the scenes, certainly that, that Gary Bettman and Bill Daly are, you know, preaching a lot of optimism to the teams about what they hope to have happen. And, you know, I hope I'm wrong on this one, but my sense is that this is going to, you know, that we're really just getting started here. I don't think that this is, anywhere near a point where we can think about playing sporting events in a, in a normal way. You know, some people think it's going to be 12 to 18 months before you see fans back in the stands at sporting events. Um, you know, I think that this is going to be much deeper and much longer than, than probably the general public at this point has, has thought about. And as I say, I would take no glee in being right about that. That just appears to me the way it's going based on what the people that know most about this are saying. So, like, do you think that the way that the leagues are talking about this is just kind of like forced optimism where they really need it to come back? So they're kind of talking that way as if it's going to come back? Yeah, I think it's partly that. I also think there's the possibility, James, that, you know, you see a breakthrough here. You know, it's possible with the entire medical and science community essentially worldwide focused on one issue that, you know, that, that they develop a treatment at least uh, for the coronavirus that I think could maybe allow... Uh, the sports leagues to get back sooner than, than some of the timeframes that have been thrown out there. You know, I also think from a practical standpoint, if that happens, the leagues have to be well down the road of, of planning for contingencies. It would be difficult if they were as pessimistic as I am and weren't making plans right now uh, mm-hmm. to react on the fly should something happen. So I think that they're you know, really just doing what the, the best that they can do and waiting to find out what's, what's possible. Um, but you know, it just doesn't feel to me I almost think it's going to be harder to start next season than it is to finish this one. If, if that, that sounds a little wonky, but I, I think that there's a way to finish 2019, 20 with the reduced amount of teams by going straight to the playoffs uh, with, you know, potentially there, there's probably impetus to do that even without fans in the stands and, and, you know, the, the sort of quarantine situation where, you know, all the players are based in one or two or three or four cities and you can do it. I, I don't know how you start the next season though, with no fans, if you're the NHL, I mean, are you going to really, you know, try to play 1,300 regular season games potentially with no one in the stands, given how important gate revenues are to the overall business of the league? You know, functionally, I don't know how that's possible. You know, when, when you're talking about 31 teams, it, it, you know, there, there's just so many logistical hurdles here that are way, way beyond the scope of the sports league that you know, I, I think that this is going to be, you know, certainly we've never seen anything like it already. I, I, I just, I, I don't, I don't see a, a way back, to be honest. I really, I don't see how this is going to happen quickly. And, um, 
you know, beyond obviously everyone getting vaccinated or reaching herd immunity in the community or, or you know, at, at minimum, I, I think they need to have some kind of breakthrough where the death rate percentage of this drops from, say, you know, I think it's somewhere around 2% now of people that get it are, are going to die. You know, they need some sort of treatment that gets that down to 0.1% or something a little bit closer to the regular flu. But why would it be more feasible, CJ, to finish this season as opposed to starting next season? Like, what's the difference? Well, I just think that there's there's probably more of a reason to do it. I mean, you've played 85% of the regular season. Uh, you know, I think that there's buy-in. It's pretty clear, actually, there's buy-in from the players and the players' association with the league to basically twist themselves into a pretzel trying to find a way to do this. That, that's going to mean very likely a playoffs unlike anything we've ever seen before. Um, you know, the possibility that, that these guys are going to have to go to isolated locations away from their families, be quarantined at hotels, you know, for potentially up to a couple months if, if, if it's a team that, that goes all the way through the playoffs just to get this done. I, I think that there, there's a buy-in and a will to do that. But if we get to the fall and you're not able to get fans back in, in the stands, you know, it's very clear in that case that that's what happens, that, you know, the NHL is going to suffer significant, significant uh, hit to its business. So the players are only going to make a fraction of what they were supposed to make. It may, it may not be safe at that point still to travel to certain parts of North America. I mean, obviously, this isn't spreading everywhere equally right now across the continent. Um but I, I just think it's going to be hard to start a full season with 31 teams and all of those players and, and find maybe the buy-in to, to do everything you have to do. I mean, it just might make a point where it doesn't make sense, where from a business standpoint, the league just doesn't stand it to gain enough. I do think they stand to gain by, by playing the playoffs, even in a reduced format, because you know, there's obviously TV contracts and things like that, that it satisfies. And so, you know, I, I don't, want this to be construed as me being hard on the league. I think that they're smart to, to try to plan out everything they can plan out and, and, you know, have all these potential fallback options, you know, should something develop here that allows them to play. I just, I just don't think it's very likely um, because the window is, is moving quicker. Maybe it probably feels like days aren't barely passing for people at home, but the window to make all this happen is pretty small. And let's remember most of the players right now are in position to where they haven't skated in over a month. I, I just, Man, there's so many things going on that are going to be tough to to, to bridge without you know everyone getting vaccinated or, or some degree of confidence from our our health the you know people running health organizations and the government leaders that we can be moving around like we used to. I I, I keep thinking, Chris, like what does an NHL even look like without fans? Like it's 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 probably not a 31 team league, you know if. Like the the amount of revenues that they would lose would just be staggering. I don't, I don't know. Like even even playing the playoffs without fans, I guess you're making your TV partners whole, but um, I I don't know. It's I I it's hard to believe we're even in this situation discussing things like this. I know. I, I haven't even put my mind around it all. I certainly haven't asked people at the league all these questions either. I mean, some of this is just me working yeah. through it in my own mind, but. You know, that's why I think it's going to be hard to start next year. I, I do think that there's a, there's probably will, James, to just get through the season in whatever way you can, even from the players. But, you know, how many players are going to want to play in front of no fans, say, if, if we're, we're in the fall and not enough has changed? You know, these guys obviously have contracts, a lot of them. But, you know, we all know that they're not going to be getting paid anywhere near 100% of those contracts. If there's no fans, you know, the number goes down and down and down. 
without you know the actual money they'll receive. I, I just think there could reach a point where it doesn't make sense to do it. And you know there might even be moral arguments about whether private business should be doing certain things, you know, at a time if the pandemic isn't, you know, more under control by then. And, and you know, there's certainly no guarantee of that. I and mean, we've seen in Asia, you know, in some of those countries have opened back up that, that have been through basically the, the time we're living now. And there's been second waves of, of the coronavirus and they've had to, to shut things down again. I mean, I don't think anyone should think we'll, we'll just sit inside for four weeks and everything will be fine. I mean, um, there, there's a lot of logistical issues that our countries are still dealing with and our you know, the cities and, and provinces or states that we live in, um, you know, I, it just, it might be impossible ultimately for, for not just the NHL. I mean, I'm talking the NBA. I don't know if the NFL is going to start on time. You know, there's some out there that think that golf and tennis are sports that may be able to, you know, be, be staged without fans a little bit more easily just with some of the distancing practices that, that can happen. But, um, you know, I, I don't see a quick way out of this. That's, that's what I keep coming back to. And, you know, there's been a lot of good stories over the weekend. New York Times Magazine, uh, Sports Illustrated had a story last Friday about, you know, the challenges of even just doing a quarantine set of games. Um, you know, the Atlantic had a story that I read this morning. You know, I, there's a lot of medical experts out there saying it's going to be 2021 and, and maybe summer or fall 2021 before anything looks like it used to look. Well, that's, that's great. Very, very optimistic about everything. Um, I know you're just being real, um, but let me ask you guys just each, um, if you were a, a GM or if you were an agent, how would you be planning for whatever the off season looks like in light of all the uncertainty? Like, how could you even make plans for if your player is going to be a free agent, um, if you're trying to re-sign somebody, if you're trying to look into the market, like how would you go about handling that? James, you first and then uh, Chris. Well, I mean, I honestly, I don't know that. I think you still can plan. Um, the way that most executives and agents that I've talked to are talking about it is that this is going to be a really tough year for free agency, and they're expecting it's going to be hard for people to get the kind of contracts they were expecting. The cap's going to be flat, and there could be a lot of teams that are stressed economically that have to cut payroll or that aren't able to spend to the cap the way they have in the past. So, you know, I think we could see a lot of you know, short-term deals and we could see a lot of roster kind of chaos as teams are trying to shed payroll. And it's, um, I think that's what, that's what teams and, and agents are, are preparing for right now. I mean, no one thinks the cap's going to go up and if it does, it's going to be by hardly anything. And it's going to be a, a number that's set for a number of years at that low number. So that, that's, that's the way that people are preparing right now. And, and that's the key thing for me, James, is that we're not just talking about one year or one off season that teams kind of have to navigate this. I think kind of the general feeling or realization that it's going to be multiple years is going to make it especially challenging for free agents to get longer term contracts. I mean, there there might even be an argument to be made that you know they're, they're, it's not in their best interest to even seek you know long term deals at this point with with the uncertainty. You know, there's still some some good things I think the league's had with the NHL Players Association just with the fact that they have a U.S. rights deal coming up, uh, you know, in a year and a bit's time. You know, we do have Seattle entering a league. I mean, I think that there are conditions here where the NHL can emerge pretty strongly from from the, the, the COVID crisis. You know, it's just a matter of how soon that, that period starts. And and so, you know, well, well, this is obviously just not, you know, every league, every business 
is taking huge financial hits during this time. I, I do think the league, you know, could be in position to, um, you know, come out of this okay. And, and so a few years down the road, things might be road year, but everyone has to steal themselves for a tough time right now. And I think it is going to be very difficult for free agents. I don't know if your team, and, I, and obviously because this is the Leaf report, I think it's going to be a tough summer in some ways or tough off season for the Leafs to have to shed some, some salary because, you know, I don't know that you're going to be getting value back for, for the players you have to do that for just because yeah. uh, the, the cap space is going to be so tight, but um, you know, that that's, that's what's going on. And at least everyone's dealing with it. I mean, there was a number of teams at the cap this year that Toronto was far from the only one and, and you know, they'll be feeling the effects as well. Okay. So Chris, you brought up the Leafs, obviously it's the Leaf report. We're going to talk about it. Um, what, what do you think, in terms of navigating that cap landscape, I mean, it looks like they're going to have to trade at least one player away just to shed salary in order to fit their RFAs in, in order to have bring the roster back. They're going to have some options with Barabanov and uh, maybe Nick Robertson, and you know, you know, potentially Jason Spezza comes back. Um, whatever kind of a contract that the Dermot and McKayev get, they're going to have some guys on these cheap contracts again that potentially could give them uh, some strong play. But how how do you how do you think that's going to play out? Well, it's pretty evident that they're going to have to to make some moves, you know. And and you know, I, I was listening. I think it might have been your last show, actually. I, I tended to agree with what you were saying, James. Like to me, it looks almost like two players uh, probably have to go, and then two players that make decent salaries just just to make all this work. I mean, either that, or I guess there, there's always a possibility that they're not able to bring the KF back. That that. Yeah, you know, they don't sign him to the kind of deal that that I think he's probably worth at this point, and and you know what is him and his agent are going to push for. You know, th- th- there's a good relationship there. I'm not saying that that's going to be the outcome, but you know, as the Leafs work through those decisions, uh, that's probably what's what's going to be facing them, I would think. And you know, the the tough part is is you have Andreas Johnson, you know, coming off a pretty significant surgery and and not a great season even when he was healthy. Um, you know, to me, I, I don't know that how movable his contract will be under those circumstances. So, you know, I, I think it all kind of points to Kasperi Kapanen being, you know, one of the players that that's likely on the move, just because I do think that there's certainly a number of teams around the league that, that value him. You know, one thing I heard actually from, from, from GMs back at the trade deadline is, is his name kept popping up in a lot of our stories. And, and a few teams were saying the Leafs were never even remotely making him available. I mean, obviously I guess, you know, teams might ask about him, but you know, a lot of the the other teams didn't think the Leafs had any desire at all to move him at that time, even though his name was mentioned a fair bit or speculated on in the media. Uh, I wonder if that changes this off season, um, just out of almost necessity, uh, more than, than than any desire to get rid of him. But I do think he he, he does have value, and so uh, if you're if you're wearing your options, it might make sense to move him. Um, but you know, it's going to be a tough a tough fit again. For Toronto and and you know it's probably was going to be the first year in a long time that they didn't have to use long-term injury next season um, mm-hmm. with yeah. all those contracts coming off the books I, I don't know if now if, if there might be a reason to, to try to use that at some point I mean we know they'll be creative these guys but you know it's not an easy task facing them this summer well I think not being in not being in LTI are actually like they then they can accrue cap space and that can set them up well for the trade deadline they can add like Pridham will actually have more room to maneuver if if, if they're not into LTIR. So I, I kind of think that helps them a little bit. The only thing is, like, they have to give themselves a little bit of breathing room under the cap in order to accrue more space. And, I mean, 
The only thing with the reservation I have with you said talked about trading multiple players is I just worry all of a sudden that they're going to be too thin up front. And that seemed to be something they ran into this year. Whenever they had multiple forwards out with injuries, they just weren't able to generate anything from their third and fourth line. And that would be my concern if you're trading Kappen and someone else, that you just don't have enough coming from your depth forwards anymore. Well, and that's fair. You know, it kind of makes you wonder what opportunities will present themselves in free agency too, though. Uh, you know, I, I think the Leafs are banking on the idea that there might be another Jason Spets out there. And I don't maybe even mean someone as, as experienced as, as veteran as he is, but you know, that there might be other players faced yeah. with this, this summer where essentially no one's making money or making the kind of money that they once did in free agency and that they're willing to, uh, at least then embrace the opportunity to come Toronto on, on smaller deals. Like I, I do think that that is going to be something they're going to pursue. You know, I don't have any hot names to throw out there as, as a likely target or candidate, but you know, I, I do think it's reasonable to think the Leafs could be in a position to sign, you know, another forward that way. And, and so maybe mm-hmm. that might be one way to address it, but I, I look, you're, what you're saying is, is right. I mean, the, the injuries I think are at least a small part of the story for the Leafs this year that they didn't, still find a way, even though, you know, that they are a pretty deep team up front. Um, I think to weather all that and, and, and not be knocked off balance by it. And, and it should be a concern if you're talking about moving guys that are probably still going to get better. I mean, I think at this point it's reasonable to expect growth still from Casper Kapanen. And you're going to talk about Kerfoot maybe a little bit and, and even Janssen, although he's getting to the point, he probably is what he is, but um, you know, that that's, I guess why you need that, that next wave, but maybe that, a Barabanov bet is a little bit more important than even I thought about at the time. Maybe you, you need a guy like him and Nick Robertson to come in and be able to at least uh, be support secondary roles to, to allow all that to work. Okay. Well, let's, let's zoom in on a few of those guys and, and talk about each. Um, so Chris, you brought up Kapanen. I think we should start with him. Um, he's a really interesting case just because he is still pretty young. Like he'll turn 24 in July He's had a 20 goal season. He's had, you know, a 40 point season. He's really fast. He's big. He's signed for the next two years. He's under team control after that. Uh, I guess, James, we can start with you. Where do you kind of sit on the appeal of keeping him? Like Chris mentioned, the team might be inclined to keep him versus he's your most attractive piece to move. And maybe he's more replaceable than somebody like Kerfoot. Like, where do you where do you stand? Well, I think you want to keep them just so that you've got someone with some dynamic ability that's not in your top six because, I mean, this year was a kind of an eye-opener just that I I don't – the Leafs weren't as deep as I thought they were. You know, I th- you know, early in the season when everyone started to get healthy and they, they were kind of rolling and producing a lot of offense, it's like, look at look at all the, the depth they've got. But they just – I don't know. They didn't – like when you're using Engvall and Mulgan and some of these other guys in your, on your second and third line, they didn't have enough. And I think that that's something they're going to have to think more about. I mean, obviously, they're going to have – they potentially have the goaltending issue solved in the offseason, but they're going to have to think about how do we replace Tyson Berry and Cody Ceci. But they're also going to have to think about how they can approach the forward situation differently. And what Chris is talking about is really interesting. I mean – you know, maybe you assign multiple, maybe what you do is like, like it's hard to throw out names because maybe what you do is you wait till like the musical chairs of free agency happen. And then there's going to be some guys left without a seat and you go to them and be like, come, you'll, you'll get a lot of opportunity here. Play for us for a million bucks. And, 
you know, set yourself up well for the following free years, uh, free agency when there'll probably be more opportunity for you, kind of like they did with Tyler Ennis. And they, they, it's not like they haven't done this before, but maybe they need to be more aggressive there and really be the mark, the, the team that, that those guys that get left without a, a destination in the first couple of days of free agency are looking to. So, um, but the appeal of, of keeping Kapanen is he's a good penalty killer. He's got dynamic speed. He's someone you're never, you're not afraid to put out there against other teams, top lines. Um, the only thing, the, the, the appeal with moving Kapanen, the number one reason is that so many other teams are interested in him. You know, I think the reason his name was out there was other teams kept putting it out there uh, in, in advance of the trade deadline last year. Not that the Leafs were putting it out there. And the appeal is that potentially you can get a really good player for him. And, you know, as mentioned, the right side of the Leafs blue line is really, really thin. If you can trade Kapanen for someone who helps be part of the solution there, then I think you got to think about it. And I don't think trading Kerfoot or, or Janssen or any of these other guys we're going to talk about is going to address that need. So that's that's the number one reason why Kapanen could be uh, potentially appealing to move. The other thing about Kapanen is he, he makes a little bit less than the other guys too, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, it, not that you know, it's, it's a, a marginal difference between him and Kerfoot, but, you know, part of what we're talking about is moving these guys to create cap room. You know, you, it would be logical if, if you don't like Janssen as much and he's older and he makes more, that that would be the one you're, you're really looking to dump if you're, uh, you know, the contract, if you're in Kyle Dubas' shoes. Uh, you know, it might be impossible, especially this kind of off season. That, that part uh, is a little bit of an X factor uh, to the conversation. But you know, with Captain, I'm I'm with you. In a perfect world, you're we're never even having this discussion. I mean, in, in a in a non-salary cap world, I don't think that there's any reason the Leafs would 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 consider moving him. I mean, you know, obviously there was some off ice concerns about him that that got him suspended this year as well. Um, but you know, if there's anything, I, I do think that this organization is pretty patient. Uh, you know, he's a player they've, they've known for a long time, you know, back to when they acquired him and, you know, had him in the American Hockey League. I think they are willing to work with him through this uh, period and hoping that, that obviously by sort of publicly drawing attention to the fact that, that he was late for that practice and, and sitting him out for a game on Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday, making him be in the press box and an answer to it to reporters that, that he'll respond to that well. And so, you know, mm-hmm. I, I do think that they will – you know, it's, 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 we're talking about who they'd like to keep. I think he'd be right high at the list. I just don't know if if they're going to be able to move the other players and if they might find themselves in a position where he is, you know, the the main part of a, a trade package that gets them back a defenseman that that, that fills some of the other needs that they're that are clearly going to have, uh, you know, come this off season. Well, tell me how you guys feel about this. I'm kind of of two minds of him. I'm like really intrigued based on the package, and yet sometimes I wonder if the package kind of looks shinier than it actually is like we talk a lot about his speed and his speed like is a threatening force but it doesn't always like often result in actual stuff like he'll get breakaways but he'll shoot the buck high and his playmaking is questionable like he doesn't see the ice great like I I, he's also young so like I'm of two minds in that like maybe this is what he is and that's that's a good player but maybe he's also he also looks nicer to all these teams than what actually like results in, in tangible production. Does that make any sense to either of you, Chris? You can go first. That makes sense to me. I mean, we've seen him, you know, get time with with Austin Matthews, and it didn't really work that great. I mean, obviously they, they did have some moments, um, you know, where that speed was was a factor, and and you know they could send him on a breakaway or something like that. But you know, I think. 
if you look at the totality of their time where they were line mates, to me, it, 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 it didn't work. I mean, the, the thing with Kapanen to me, he almost seems like he sees straight ahead really well, but he almost mm-hmm. doesn't have sort of peripheral vision or an ability to scan the ice um, and, and, and be a playmaker. So I don't know if you want him playing with your best players in that case. I mean, obviously you, you do want his speed because other teams have to respect that and it, and it can create spots on the ice. I think for, for dynamic guys to, to be able to use that, that extra room, but, you know, over a long period of time, you know, it was pretty clear with the Leafs that didn't work. I mean, the other factor here is if you're considering William Nylander a right winger long-term, I mean, at, at best with the Leafs, captain is going to be your third option at right wing with, with Marner and Nylander uh, clearly ahead of them and, and both signed long-term. Um, you know, it, it, it might make sense if you're Toronto not to allocate uh, that spot to him. You know, there, there's depth issues that James raised that I, I think are fair, but you know, this is probably that he's probably not going to look much better than he does right now. I guess if you're talking about a trade, I mean, he's, he's young, but even a year from now, it, it's it's going to start to be different. And, and I'm sure the opinion of him league wide is going to change. People aren't going to maybe see the same degree of upside. And so you know, the, the, it feels like a, a confluence of factors that could come together here and, and make this make sense for, for Toronto. And I do think, again, no decisions have even been made. I mean, we're just talking about probabilities, but I, I do think it's, probable that that he has moved uh, before the 2020-21 season starts. Probably the other thing that they got to think about too, Chris, is the expansion draft at some point too, right? Like they've got a lot of forwards and they've got a lot of these guys signed through that expansion draft. So, I mean, what what can they protect? Seven forwards I think they can protect? I mean, they're going to have to make sure they don't lose anyone good in in that process. Yeah, or maybe, you know, the, the lesson of the last expansion draft is you might have to lose someone good rather than make a trade to try to not yeah. do something that's worse off in the long run. I mean, right now, obviously that the top four forwards, it, there's not even a discussion about, you know, I don't know. I think they're, they're actually okay at four because then if you, you could still easily protect Kerfoot, Kapanen, you know, if Hyman resigns, I don't know. I mean, I think that they're okay uh, for the expansion draft uh, that way. And, you know, with both of the, the two young defensemen in the, you know, exempted from that process, Willigren and, and Sandine, uh, the Leafs might actually not get burned too badly on, on that. I haven't looked too deeply into it, but maybe with Hyman, you you wait for that you wait for that extension or something until the expansion draft passes. Or I mean, I guess it depends what happens. I don't know. I th- I just think that that's going to add another wrinkle to this whole thing. Where maybe it makes more sense to bring in some of those free agents on one year deals because that's not going to impact you in the expansion draft at all. Right. Well, but James, let me ask you, like, how much better do you think he gets? Uh, that's one of those debates that the analytics community has a lot where they talk about when do NHL players peak. And, you know, Kapanen's going to be 24 this summer, and that's kind of around, you know, usually the statistically a player's peak is 23, 24, 25, maybe 26. So he could have a little bit more upside, and he's kind of, I think his, I think I want to say his dad was a bit of a late bloomer too in, in that he kind of, became more of a player as he got into his mid-20s but I don't know I I think with some of those things like kind of like what we're talking about offensive awareness and and kind of um, vision and those kind of I don't know if those are things that develop you know I I think you know with some guys you know you can develop you can get be become a little bit better skater you can become but I don't know I just don't know if 
the question with Kapanen is, is he a second liner or is he a third liner, right? Like it, it, so, and I think the the answer is on some teams that are really thin on the wing, he's a second liner and that's why other teams are really interested in him. And on the Leafs where they're pretty deep on the wing, he's a third liner. So that's why he might have more value to another team than the Leafs. Well, I think that's a good segue for the next guy we're going to talk about. And that's, that's Kerfoot. Kerfoot was somebody who you could play with Tavares and Neander, and because he kind of thinks the game and sees the game better than Kapanen, he kind of fit with those guys. Now you could you could argue that they didn't give Kapanen like an extended run with those guys, although he did start the year with Marner and Tavares. But like CJ, when you look at Kerfoot, and, and to me like the versatility is is an interesting part of the equation. He's also a couple years older. If you were another team, how would you kind of look at him as a a, a chip? to maybe acquire and then on the other side, how would you look at it him if you're the Leafs? Well, you know, I think there's less sort of upside to, you know, baked into those those calculations if you're another team than than you have with Kapitan. <clears throat> the the pros are that he signed for three seasons beyond this one, you know, potentially a pro. Um, you know, you basically have the the, the rest of his twenties locked up at a reasonable number. You know, I think, you know, three and a half million is fair for a 40 to 50 point guy, which is kind of what he's been in the NHL. <clears throat> and so, you know, I, I think you, you're viewing him for what he is. I, I do think on the leap. So I'm with you, Jonas, that there's an argument there. He doesn't wow you in, in the same way, but you know, I think that he did show an ability to, to play up the lineup when, when they could use him there. Uh, unfortunately, you know, that the, him as a center didn't seem to be something that I think was quite as effective. It, you know, it seemed to me that, that, you know, he was making a stronger in- impact when, when he was getting a shot on the wing. Uh, but because he's a good skater and, you know, can produce a little bit of offense for you, I, I, I do think that he would he would definitely have, have valued other teams. I just don't think you're getting a whole lot back in that, that kind of trade package. I mean, that's that's really what this whole thing boils down to if we're, if we're looking at the forwards is that, you know, I, I just think that Kapanen has far more shooters out there uh, than, than really any of the other guys that the Leafs would think about moving at this point in time. And, and that's probably why it ultimately makes sense for him. I, I think Kerfoot is on a fair deal and, and, you know, you, you have some certainty there and, you know, if, if you're the Leafs, you've seen him now for 60 or 65 games, whatever it was, and, and, you know, have some confidence that he can play with, with the top guys, if that's what he is. And, and probably in a perfect world, they, they, they fashion him as a third liner. And I think, you know, he's well positioned to, to do that. I'm not sure if Kerfoot's a center or a winger. Like, I couldn't figure that out this year. Like, it seemed like when they put him on the wing with really good players, he complimented them so well that... But but then you look at what the Leafs have, and they don't really have another option as the third-line center. So, I mean, and, and that's the thing, too, is, that, like, centers typically are harder to find, and they make more. And so, like, while Kapanen might be a flashier player and younger and have more upside, they still need someone that can play center. And and that's what that's what Kerfoot gives them. And the other day, Kerfoot signed an extra year over Kapanen as well. Like, you know, I could see the negotiation with Kapanen in two years when his deal's up could be could be a tricky one. Whereas you don't have to really worry about that until a year afterwards with with Kerfoot and and Andreas Janssen. So there is something I don't know. I and I think too the the injury held Kerfoot back a little bit. I think that there you know we probably didn't see the best of him consistently this year well and and two other things you have to remember is one new team like so there's that adjustment period especially early in the year and then the other thing like that was only his third 
season in the league. Like he's not, it's not like he's a, an especially experienced player. So to, to like your point, James and, and Chris's, I guess the question you'd have to ask yourself is you, would you rather have Kerfoot and the stuff you can get back for, let's say Kapanen, or would you rather have Kapanen and the lesser stuff that you can get back for Kerfoot? And I think the answer, Chris, like seems pretty obvious if you're making a choice. Yeah, to me it is, you know, and I, I don't think that'll be an easy trade, but unfortunately this is what the cap does. I mean, the, the cap forces you to kind of strip down your, your, your middle class a little bit. You know, we've seen that with a lot of the teams that have had success. I think the tough part for the Leafs is they've yet to have, you know, any playoff success, you know, while going through this, this point. And so it's, it's even harder to make those decisions to, you know, trade away potentially someone like Kapanen uh, than it would be, you know, say for Chicago, which, you know, dealt a lot of pretty good second to third liners, you know, after winning a Stanley cup, I think it's, it's a little bit easier in that sense because you've at least squeezed everything you could out of, out of that team. Um, you know, I, I just don't, I don't see, I think Kirk Kerfoot's probably worth more to the Leafs than, than he would be to a lot of other teams for the reasons James mentioned. I mean, we, we don't really have anyone we could identify at this point. I don't think that, that could play third line center for them at, at this point in time. And, you know, even though we've talked about the possibility of adding in free agency, I doubt you're getting that player there. I mean, I guess it's always possible, but it seems like a long shot. I do think, you know, anyone who, who would be good for that role is probably able to get a better contract somewhere else and, and more likely to, to sign elsewhere in the league. And so, you know, it, it feels to me like you, you run it back with, with Kerfoot. And I think the Leafs will also value, you know, that he is signed a little longer because, you know, obviously every contract situation they face is, is tricky because I don't see any time in, in the near future where they're going to have what we would call cap space. I think every year we're going to be talking about the squeeze they're faced with uh, each off season. Okay. Let's, let's change gears a little bit and look at the, the D for a second. Then we'll come back to the forwards. Um, Travis Dermott is a restricted free agent. Um, he doesn't, James has brought this up. He doesn't have like a super strong case for a humongous raise of any kind. Um, but like, I wonder if there's a world where they look at moving him and obviously he's cheap, he's young. You still don't totally know what he is. You still don't know if he can play in your top four, but James, like, is there any part of your brain if you were in the front office that would think, you know what? Maybe like maybe he's the guy we we also move in addition to a forward and try to I don't know rearrange the pieces that way. Well, I'm going to throw some complicated analytics at you and count how many left defensemen that the Leafs have on the team next year, and it's Riley, Muzzin, Dermott, Sandine. There's that's four, and they only got three spots for left D. So something's got to give. Either one of those guys has got to play the right side, which we haven't seen the entire season. Or they got to trade somebody. So that's that's my math lesson on that. Like, I, <clears throat> I think what you do with Dermot because you still don't know what he is yet is you squeeze him hard on a one year deal and get it as low a number as you can given the conditions around the league and given your own personal cap situation and you know you give him his qualifying offer and you you say show us what you can do and there's probably going to be more opportunity for him next year on the blue line. You know, even if they do add another defenseman, it's not going to be. It's not going to be a Tyson Berry. You know, they're not going to be able to add someone like that. So there's going to be potential for Dermot to play his way into the top four next year and then, you know, potentially make your make re-signing him harder the year after that. But I think that he's still in a position where he's he's gotta he's gotta be in a show me kind of contract next year. 
For sure. And, and the way I view it is that he hasn't established himself as part of their core. You know, so, so he is in that discussion where, you know, by no means do I think he's likely to be traded, but, but I, you can't say it won't happen. You know, whereas I would already put Sandine in that spot. I mean, partly due to his age, you know, he's only 20, he's three years younger than Dermot, you know, and, you know, we've seen, I guess, a little bit of a of glimmer of what he can be at the NHL level. But, you know, to me, he's already on their no-fly zone list with, with those four forwards at the top and probably Morgan Riley at this point in time, although you know, maybe that's another discussion you, you want to get into. And so for Dermot, he, he's kind of on the bubble uh, of, you know, is he here longer term? Is he part of, you know, the, the group, uh, you know, that that's meant to try to, to bring a Stanley cup back to Toronto or might he be expendable at some point in time? It, it doesn't, doesn't seem to point that way to me this, this off season, just because of what James has said. I mean, that, I don't really see him in a position to, to push for, you know, it, I mean, he's getting a raise, but he's not getting a, a significant deal on, on his next deal, I wouldn't think. And so, you know, I, I don't see any harm in bringing him back. You know, maybe even have to try him on the right at some point uh, to balance out the, the, the left-right balance. But, um, you know, to me, he's, he's kind of moving into that zone where he's got to establish himself as someone they really want to have around and keep long-term or, or perhaps – you know, he might have to, uh, he might be saying goodbye at some point in the future. Well, to your point, guys, like him alone isn't getting you anything. Like he's, he just isn't proven enough, but maybe in like a, some sort of like package deal, he makes some sense because another team could look at him and say, you know what? He's 23. He can really skate. He's big and physical. Uh, like there's, there's a nice package of skills there. Like it, it doesn't feel likely, but if you're like, if you're looking ahead long term. And you're looking at who they've got signed. They've got Muzzin now signed for the next four years. Sandine, like Chris mentioned, isn't going anywhere. Justin Hall is signed for the next three years. Like, I, I guess we weren't planning to really talk about him. But like, you, you start to look ahead with Riley. I just don't know how they're better by... I, I, I can't see them moving him because I just don't see how they're better. So like, I wonder... To James's point, like how you fit all these puzzle pieces and still get better, like that's the 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 question. I guess I have is like, how do you improve this defense if you're not adding from outside? Like maybe you can't add from outside. I think they're going to have to. Is, I don't. I don't know that you're improving it. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, they're, they're going to have to try and find a way for the defense to. I mean, they're going to need Sandine to step up. They're going to need if they keep him Dermot to step up. They're going to need, you know they're going to need the best of the young guys that they've got. And I think they're probably going to add a defenseman. Like they're just, it's, it just might not be the sexiest name. And there's some, there's some somewhat interesting guys in free agency. And it's hard to know in this climate, how big their contracts are going to be. If they set the cap at 82 and a half, instead of 81 and a half, that gives another million that potentially they could. And if, and like Chris said, if they, if they look at trading two forwards, instead of just one that makes some money, then, then all of a sudden, you've got some space to do something to bring in a defenseman that makes four, four and a half million dollars. And you should be able to get a decent player for that. And the thing I would be worried about going into free agency is spending that kind of money on an older player. And then all of a sudden, you know, you've got Muzzin signed for a number of years. Then all of a sudden you're, I mean, I guess you're, you're in your contention window. So you're not as worried about getting older, but you're just in free agency. You got to commit dollars to guys that are 30 plus and more and more, that feels like that's not the way to go in the NHL. Right. And I, I think with Riley, guys, to me, it doesn't make sense to do it this summer unless there's some real crazy reshaking of, of the way 
the NHL works. But I mean, with him having two more years on his deal, I don't see any harm in, in letting him play another year in Toronto, <clears throat> obviously before making any decision. I mean, at that point, you can talk to him about extension a year out and see if the numbers make sense or if the, it makes sense at that point in time when he's 27 years old to be signing him to the kind of deal he thinks he can get or, or, or not. But you know, I'm with you, Jonas, in, in the sense that I don't see how you're getting better by by moving him now. I mean, he only makes $5 million on the cap, I think, in a healthy season, uh, which he should be uh, for next year. Um, he he's clearly delivers more value than that to the team, and he's also an important part of the team. I mean, uh, it's it's pretty clear that, that he means a lot to the, the core group, and I'd say he's, he's part of that core group. I just think when we get to the timing of his next contract, that's going to be a really fascinating decision that, that management has to, to work its way through. Well, and that's, yeah, I think you hit on the point with him. That's the going to be the really interesting question at that point because we've seen lots of teams in, in similar positions, teams that have won cups. So that's like a, a slight difference, but maybe the Leafs will have won a cup by then. But like, that's the box that teams get into with players like that. Guys, they've grown. Guys who played tons of games for their team, popular players, and they re-sign them for the the downside of their career. That's a future question, but but I guess it's one that they're going to have to like, at least have in the back of their mind, especially with someone like Dermot, given that he is young, like James mentioned, like with Muzzin's age, like Justin Hall's not even young. Like I think he's 28 or so like he's getting up there, even though he hasn't been around that long. So I guess like there are lots of puzzle pieces. It feels like you have to kind of navigate. For sure. And with Riley, what'll be tricky then is I believe he'll be 28 when his deal expires. So you'd still, at least in my estimation, be buying good years in the first couple of years of that next deal, you know, where you get into, you know, the, the unknown is if you're signing him to a six or seven year kind of contract and, and how he's going to age into his mid thirties. I mean, you know, that that's, that's where teams have gotten in trouble. It's giving Brent Seabrook eight years where, yeah. you know, the Blackhawks aired. I mean, if, if, if they could have at that time signed him to a three-year extension, I don't think, we'd even be thinking about that kind of deal. And and so, you know, obviously when the Leafs get to that point, I think it will be tough. I mean, I guess you hope if you're in their front office that we, we've stabilized post COVID by the 2022 summer, uh, that, that maybe some of those factors I mentioned earlier have bumped the cap finally after a couple of years of it being flat and there's a way to, to make all that work or, or maybe they're faced with that tough decision. But uh, to me, it's, it, they're not faced with it just yet, unless there's some sort of bombshell trade out there that, that, that makes that make sense. But, you know, I, I think that's unlikely. Yeah, I mean, I, I think they've got some time. And you know what was interesting to me? And I'll, this is just a – we did that survey where we asked fans. We got, you know, thousands of Leafs fans res- responded. And we talked about who do you want to resign and who's your favorite player. And Riley was extremely high on everything that we put out there. Like he's one of the, you know, definitely top – two, I would say, favorite players of, of most people in the fan base. I know he's extremely popular in that dressing room. He's extremely popular with management and every coach that he's had. Um, he would be a really tough guy to move on from. And I don't think this year was a great representation of what he can bring on the ice. And, you know, I, I think that you want to see next season when he's fully healthy, what he looks like. And, you know, he's going to be right in his prime. And, you know, it's just, it's going to depend on what the number is and how they can make that fit. I mean, but I, I, you know, I, I, by the time you get to that point, two seasons from now, that's when you're, the core is going to have to, there's probably going to be some, some major shifts that are going to have to happen just to fit everybody in. 
Well, I, I think that's a good point. I think the core changes in time, obviously, with, with age and stuff. Like by that point, we may look at the core as Neander, Marner, Matthews, Sandine, and and Robertson. Like who, we don't know. We just don't know what the landscape will look like. Obviously, Tavares will still be signed. Um, let's move on to the next guy. Um, Chris talked a bit about him off the top. I think he's 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 really interesting just because of the season he had. Uh, and that's Andreas Janssen. He signed the four-year deal last summer. He was hurt a bunch this year. He never really did get on track. Um, he's got three more years, 3.4. Um, CJ, like if you were looking at him in another front office, I just don't see what you would, how you'd be comfortable buying at this point, given he's coming off like a significant injury, didn't have a great year, signed for a bit, still not totally clear how good he is. Uh, like, how would you look at him in, in that light? Well, I think the injury is the, the toughest one. I mean, we just don't see many players move, you know, after missing six to eight months, uh, recovering from an injury before they play another game. I mean, there's just the medical concerns alone, I think, are a factor in, in that kind of trade. Uh, I think it pretty much guarantees, in fact, that, that he'll be back. You know, but if we imagine him healthy, and, and I guess that's the best way to do this, that, that everything went well with his procedure that he, he comes back and, you know, has a better season the next year. I, I do think he, he would have value. Uh, he's a pretty feisty guy. Uh, 3.4 million probably doesn't buy you as much as you is, you know, the average fan might think in the NHL in terms of that, not really being that onerous of the contract. If you view him as someone, certainly your top, you're, you're comfortable playing on your second line, but even at times a third line, you know, that's not, a massive, massive overpay at this point in time. And he still is only 25, right? So, um, you know, you, you, you've bought good years with, with that deal he's on. I think the, the, the health is probably going to be the biggest, uh, you know, obstacle to overcome uh, when, when it comes to potentially moving him. And, and you know, he did a, his agent did a good job for him getting a four-year deal last summer um, because that, uh, that, that looked pretty prescient the way uh, this season went. Uh, to Chris's point, um, the the package is is intriguing. I, I th- what's interesting for me is like I went into last year, this year, whatever you want to call it, higher on Janssen than I was on Kapanen. And obviously, the age difference is is something. The package of skills with Kapanen is is something. But I, the thing I like about Janssen is I feel like you can play him higher in the lineup. Obviously, we've seen him ha- succeed with Matthews. We he hasn't played a ton with Tavares. Um, but he's intriguing that way. It feels like at worst, he's like a 40 point player and maybe at best Kapanen's a 40 point player. I don't know. Like if you're sorting between those two, is that, isn't maybe like, it's the same conversation with Kerfoot. Like maybe it's more appealing just to keep him anyway, just because he does kind of fit in more places at the moment. And that can change obviously. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting is that other teams look at Janssen and they think he's a product of who he played with. And that's why he put up the points that he did not this year, but the year before. And, but then other teams look at Kapanen and they don't say the same thing. So I, I, I don't know. Like, it's almost like what Janssen's good at is he's kind of like understated or underrated a little bit. And like, that's probably why he was drafted as late as he was. And it took him a long time to make the league. And, you know, it's, he does like a lot of really subtle things well. And I'm like you, Jonas, like I was really high on Janssen as well. And, 
and I, we just didn't see a lot of it this year. Like there were a lot of games where he was just kind of invisible this year. Whereas I think early on, like remember that when he first came in right at the end of that season and then he played in the playoffs and he really stood out. Like he was making an impact. He was on the puck all the time. Um, we just, we didn't see that, that Janssen enough this year. And I think that it, 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 if it was the injury and he comes back next year, maybe he could be a different player. Maybe he could be a lot more aggressive and a lot more involved in the play and, and then you're feeling pretty good about that contract and, and the player. What stands out to me, guys, is that I always think the players know, right? I mean, the, the guys that are on the ice have a better feel for any of this than, than obviously we do or probably even and then what shows up in numbers sometimes. And, and I just remember how eager Matthews was to play with Janssen and, and mm-hmm. how much he appreciated, I'm sure, his willingness to go in the corner and obviously to engage in puck battles and, and – try to get it back for him, you know, to, to create space for him that way or to, you know, find utility on a line with a player like him. And so, you know, that, that's, that's the one thing that makes me, cause I, I saw the same stuff as you. I mean, this season was a, a total, it just, it's probably a year he wants to forget. I mean, even before the injury, it just was unspectacular in every way uh, for Johnson and, you know, coming off the kind of contract he signed, you know, I think there was expectation that, that he would be more productive and more useful than he was, you know, during the time he was healthy this year. But it just hasn't hasn't left my mind how much I, I know Austin wanted to play with him uh, before that happened. When I was excited when it did happen, and you know, it just just makes me think that there is maybe a bit more in that that package. Even though he is probably reached that age where you shouldn't expect him to get much better, but that there there's something there that that you know maybe doesn't jump off the stat sheet to us um, about you know his impact and, and why he's useful to the team. He has a knack for making just like really smart passes, doesn't he? Like he's a good facilitator for those guys that have the big shot in the middle, whether it's Tavares or or Matthews. And I say this all the time on the podcast, but the Leafs are constructed a little bit oddly in that probably their two best shooters. I mean, I guess you can debate whether Nylander should be in there or not, but their two best goal scorers are their centermen. And that's not really that common if you look around the league. And often especially traditionally in the NHL, the centerman has been kind of the playmaker and the guy that dishes off to the wingers with the big shot. But the Leafs are constructed differently, so they need guys on the wing that can make passes. And that's why I think Kerfoot looked good there, and that's why I think Janssen makes sense there when when he's playing to the best of his ability. Well, and the stretch Chris is talking about was, uh, I think it was the second half of the season before this one, when it, Kapanen was on the right side and Janssen was on the left. And I remember the, the points Chris was talking about, like Matthew they had this little give and go game that was interesting. And obviously because Capitan was on the other side, you didn't have someone who could make those plays. And to me, like that's, what's kind of intriguing about him is I feel like he can fit in a lot of different places. Like you could play him with Matthews and he'll help those guys in, in a different way. He can play with Tavares and he'll help those guys in a different way. And you could even play him like on a third line if you want with, with Kerfoot and he can kind of give you a bit of punch there. Is that kind of what you were seeing too, CJ? For sure. And, you know, I, I think the Leafs, they, they need guys that do that. I mean, it's one of the, the values of <clears throat> high men over the years is yeah. they, they need a few guys that, that paint by numbers. I mean, they, they have artists, uh, but you, you can't have, you know, that old line that Babcock, like, you know, there's only one puck and, and you got to share it. I mean, I, I think that there's value in, in those players that kind of understand the role and that can go out and, and make those passes and, and basically distribute to the other guys. I mean, it's a good way to make a lot of money in the NHL is to play with a star player and understand your role with him. And what's kind of been interesting, I guess, in, in Toronto is, is, first of all, how rigid Mike Babcock was for the first couple of years of these guys' career. 
And then, you know, halfway through this season or partway through this season, the change and, and obviously Sheldon Keefe being far more, I guess, willing to, to move players around. I mean, we, we haven't really seen these guys establish, you know, what the, the ideal like, – this year I never got a feeling, what's the ideal Leafs lineup? I mean, part of that was injuries too. Um, but I, I do think that you have to have some caution in the front office and making any decisions because you didn't really have the best of him. And, and you know, maybe if, if you put him on a line with, with Matthews and Marner or Matthews and Nylander, um, you know, there's something really there. And, and I just, I, I do think that, um, you know, just, just how tenacious Johnson was at his best and willing to, you know, despite not being the biggest guy to engage in, in battles along the wall and go into the corner. I think that, that there's value for that for the Leafs, you know, on, on uh, one of their top lines. Yeah, it's funny. It doesn't actually help you as much with projecting the roster when you don't know, like you don't even know what side some of these guys are, are going to play on. Like Chris, you mentioned like Neander maybe is a right winger moving forward. He might be a left winger moving forward. Like we saw all kinds of different things. Like I don't know what Hyman is now. He played some right wing. Uh, that's that's a good thing. Like you you have guys now who can move around. You have a coach who's willing to kind of change some things. Um but like I, I'm just playing with it as you guys are are talking and making me think. It feels like you can you can do more things with your roster, moving Kapanen. Um and yet like one thing we've kind of learned about this front office, especially Kyle Dubas, obviously at the front, is it it feels like they they want to push these decisions with some of these guys as as far as they possibly can with age. Like they want to know what Kapanen is for sure before they move him same thing with Dermot but I guess in this case like to sum up the conversation about those guys they might not have a choice or they don't like it's not might they they don't have a choice no I don't think you can make it you can't make everyone fit on the roster without moving somebody out I mean that's that's probably the bottom line here especially if you're bringing back Mikheyev at two million or two and a half million or, or whatever he yeah. ends yeah yeah and I and I think it's interesting that you bring up the kind of um flexibility of some of these guys like I think Mikheyev can play the right side pretty well Barabanov is a left shot who likes playing the right side like they're they have they have options there so I don't think they need to worry so much about the left right mix as much as much as maybe they have in the past well James like just like I just played with it right now like Neander, Matthews Hyman Robertson Tavares Marner Janssen Kerfoot Mikheyev like suddenly, like it, just playing with it that way, it's like Kapanen doesn't feel that, that that looks good, and it doesn't feel Kapanen doesn't feel as essential. That's the other thing. Like Chris, just to conclude with Kapanen, I don't know how much. If I'm them, I'm thinking like, what can't I replace? Especially like with that group I just mentioned. Like, take him off the roster, and I don't feel like they're. I think they're good. Like that that top nine feels perfectly as good and. And as good as probably most teams in the league. It does. You know what the one thing I want to know is I'd love to know if they're going to shift away from kind of the view they had with team building this year. I mean, if part of this, this experiment is going to make them lean a little bit more towards grid or a different yeah. looking bottom six. Um, you know, I don't think we can rule it out. I'm not saying they're going to do a complete about face, but you know, it seemed to me at least part of that, that Kyle Clifford, Jack Campbell deal was, with getting someone like Clifford in who brings, you know, a bit of a different element than, than they really had in, in anyone else on the team. And, you know, that, that that's kind of the great unknown. It would have been great. You know, I always think about what the season could have been had we seen it end. I mean, we, we didn't, it's like reading the book three quarters of the way through. I mean, huh. we don't know if this was going to 
work. You know, I, I don't think we can say it can't work. I mean, obviously they didn't have the regular season that we, that they expected, or I think a lot of us expected of them through 69 games or 70, whatever it was they played, but you know, they were getting healthier with Riley coming back in the last game before the pause. You know, we, we were maybe going to get to see if, if this thing was, was working and, and you know, that'll probably be an interesting sort of side story. If, if there isn't any more season that you know, now they have to make some of these decisions, not truly knowing if they're, their vision for this, you know, how it needs to be, um, you know, altered. The, the one thing I took away, James and, and Jonas, if you remember when Shanahan spoke in LA, which was you know, only about a week before the pause, he kind of hinted a few times. You have to remember this is, a, you know, this is, we're kind of in the middle of this. Like he kind of yeah. hinted, if you look back at his quotes, that there's, there's more changes to come, that this isn't the, their exact vision for what the team needs to be in. You know, I wonder if we'll see some different kind of decisions made for, the bottom six moving forward. And to me, that might expedite a player like Kapanen out of it because he is basically a third liner as his top end on, on a healthy Leafs team right now. Did you guys think that that Clifford worked? Like it's almost no. like, like, it, like if you're going to do that, you can't just have one guy that's trying to play with skill guys. That's a different, I don't know. It feels like you need to. I think that's a great point, James. I don't think it worked because stylistically he didn't fit. Like, I, I think if you're going to have those guys that Chris is talking about, they kind of have to be like some of those Boston Bruin guys, like the Sean Corrales, who can skate and they can kind of fit around some of those more skilled guys. Like, it, it just didn't feel like like Clifford came from those L.A. teams, which were kind of plodding and heavy and slow. And he didn't really fit other than on the fourth line. And that fourth line, when it was Goche, him and Spezza, the numbers were were bad. Like, I don't know. If, like, I think they got a, like, it's a fine line that they're trying to thread with that. I want Chris to do his Boston accent of Sean Corrali, because I remember in the playoffs he would do that. Can you, can you, can you throw us a Sean Corrali? Oh, man. I don't, I don't <laughs> think I have that. You must be thinking of someone else. No, uh, uh, I don't know. Use it. <laughs> used to say some of the, <laughs> some of the Bruins. Gary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, used to say some of the Bruins' names with the Boston accent. And I, I don't know. For some reason, it gave me, Gave me great joy. Brought you back to happier time in your mind. Well, we've been there for three seven-game series, and potentially, you know, there there could be more to come. Like, it doesn't look like the Bruins are going anywhere, and I think the Leafs are probably going to stay competitive. So do you think they're going to keep this division-heavy playoff format going forward? No, I don't. I, I think that they're going to – I think as part of whatever happens here, you're going to see a change to the playoff format. And I would guess that it'll shift at least a little bit away from the divisional focus. You know, the league likes it. They, they like that Pittsburgh and Washington have played so much. I'm sure they like that even a Toronto-Boston rivalry has emerged. And, you know, you're likely to get a battle of Alberta as long as those two teams stay competitive in the Pacific with, with the way it sets up. But, um, you know, I, I do think you're – my guess, and this is, this is totally a bit of an educated guess, but you're going to see an expanded playoffs – whenever the league is back in, in full force and, and, you know, it will probably be a little bit different and, and maybe more tilted back to the conferences than, than we've seen uh, these last few years. It's a tough thing because like, I think the divisional rivalries in those series are amazing. And like, if we can ever get like a Leafs Montreal series or, you know, like some of these historic rivalries that we haven't seen in so long, that's great. Um, but it's it's tough just from like a competitive balance, you know. You get Tampa, Boston, and Toronto locked in against each other over and over and over again, and there have been years in that where you can argue that they're three of the top five teams in the NHL. 
I don't know. I just and and if that happens over and over again, it just it feels a little bit tough. And that's that's happened. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the right solution is because then if you go to a conference heavy format, then you could the Leafs might not play the Bruins for years, and they might have a bunch of playoff series against you know Carolina and yeah, like well, I mean Florida's in their division, so that could happen anyway. But like yeah, like they could they could play a bunch of these teams where it's just like meh, like. You know, there's no, there's nothing there. And you see that, I think you see that a lot in the Western Conference, right? Where you get these teams playing each other and it's like, okay, like there's just no, there's, there's no, um, no rivalry, no spark, no anything. And I know you can develop that and I know that's happened in the past, but it's, I don't know. I kind of like the conference format better, but I can see why it's good to have the rivalry games as well. Right. The conference format's more fair. Yeah. But we have to remember on some level, this is still entertainment. And, and I think the league is, is opting to, to turn an eye to, you know, those times when it wasn't fair, when, you know, Toronto, Tampa, Boston are one, three and five overall in the league or whatever it was, or one, three and six. And, and, you know, opting for, you know, being pretty darn entertaining. I was thinking about this. I mean, which teams do you guys think are most hurt if this season just ends the way it, it does? Cause for me, it's gotta be Tampa yeah. losing another season of this core you know, things, you know, they'd really gotten on track, um, you know, through the, the second, you know, the, the middle part of the season into the, the, the home stretch there. And after the way last year went for them and just with their best players getting another year older and not getting a chance at the Stanley Cup, I mean, well, they, they're not, they, on, they're not in yeah. San Jose territory yet, but they're on the way to San Jose territory. It's a great team that maybe just it's not going to line up for them. They spent some capital at the trade deadline, too. And the other thing, too, is you look at their cap situation and it's going to become really problematic over the next couple of years. So the window the window to be as wide open as it is right now isn't going to last forever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I totally think you're right. And the other thing, too, is wasn't it – I mean, Tampa has been a competitive team now for quite a long time. Like, was it – I want to say it's 2011 when they were in the conference finals and they lost in Game 7, the one nothing game. I mean, like – they like so you go and then they were in the final against Chicago in 2015 like they've been knocking on that door for I mean that's nine years now so you know it's you don't you you don't always get that long of a a opportunity to do that game seven of the conference final 2016 I think they lost one nothing or two under Pittsburgh 17 was might have been the one year they missed the playoffs and 18 they were in the conference final against Washington right and they've just been there every year with a chance to win it. I mean, they're, they're been among the handful teams for most of the last 10 years that you would say maybe seven of those 10 years off the top of my head were that they could do it and they haven't found a way to get it done. And you look at, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. And you look at some of the big contracts they got now, like Vasilevsky and Stamkos and Hedman, and it's just going to be hard for them to keep everybody here soon. But James, it feels like you could kind of go through a lot of teams to, to Chris's question, like St. Louis, Petrangelo is a free agent. Yep. Uh, Washington, their their core is getting up there in age. Pittsburgh, Boston, bots Boston, like Dallas, like they're built around some older players. Yeah. Like it, it just feels yeah. like you could kind of like every team is gonna Nashville. be in a really tough Nashville's spot. Getting Nashville's getting yeah. yeah. So yeah, no, there's a lot of teams that you know this could have been close to the end of their window. Like Dallas is a great example because like they're a team that kind of had a surprisingly good season that potentially could have had an outside shot. And that if this season disappears, then I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know if they're going to be able to run it back with that team or not. All right, let's do the final player. Um, CJ, we've taken enough of your time. Um, James and I have already, (laughs) 
Uh, well, we appreciate it. Uh, James and I argue about this a lot, and we're going to write about it, I think, in the next couple of weeks. Um, Frederick Anderson. James, explain your case why you think this is more... He's more... Maybe this is this was your point before all this craziness happened, but explain why you think he's not so... Like, you wouldn't be so 100% committed to him through next season. Um... I mean, a big part of it is just the year that he's had this year. I mean, that's that 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 introduces more question marks. And then you then you go back to what we're talking about the age question. You know, I hate when goalies get signed for. There's been a lot of mistakes made across the NHL in signing older goalies to long contracts with big AAVs, and and while Anderson's been solid, he's never been great in the playoffs. He's been he's been fine. Um, I don't know. I just think that I think goal is one of those positions where you can't get set on anybody for too long a period of time just because of how unpredictable it is. And um, I would just really worry about what the commitment would look like on a new contract for him. So that's that's kind of where I weigh in on that. Right. But we're talking about a year from now, he needs a new contract, right? So, yeah, but but like there's some there's like I think. There's some interesting options in free agency. Um, with a year left on the deal, it might be easier to make a trade where you're trading a goalie for another goalie. Um, I just think it could be something that you contemplate now because Anderson has some trade value to potentially make a move um, or because you like someone in free agency like Robin Lehner um, that you don't necessarily have to wait to the last minute to where he's walking out the door to make the decision. Right. Interesting. But well, what are you going to have to pay Lehner? That's That would be my concern. Well, right, he I, would cost more than Anderson. More than what? Five? I mean, Anderson's I think probably going to get more than what Anderson makes today. Anderson's going to get probably get more than five too. I mean, uh, that's it's a fair point. I mean, the, the problem they're going to have. This is kind of a. I've been talking about this on the podcast. I don't know if you have heard all of them, Chris, but uh, with no hockey, I've filled the void by playing NHL twenty, and I've been playing. There, there's a franchise mode where you can be the GM and you move all these pieces around. So I was trying to make something work where you move the goalie out and you bring another goalie in. But the problem is I went to free agency and I didn't get the goal. I didn't get Robin Lehner. So I didn't get the goalie I wanted. So all of a sudden I had no goal. <laughs> Jack Campbell was my goalie and I had to scramble. I think I signed Corey Crawford or something like that. But like, so like you gotta, I don't know. Like, it's not like you can, it's not, um, it's not as easy as it seems to move these puzzle pieces around. I just, all I'm saying is that I don't think, this is what Jonas and I debated with our piece that we had on the site yesterday is I don't think it's an absolute lock that Anderson's back next season. I think it can be something that they look at and explore uh, and think about the goaltending position, maybe a little bit more dynamically than we've got this guy and he's been fine and let's bring him back for one more year. That's all fair. I love that Kyle Lewis gets to do this for real and you're sitting at home and you're, CJ's uh, doing be a GM on video games going like, yeah, no shit. It's not as easy as you think. Hey eh, guys. <laughs> but the, the, the beautiful thing is that the game has gotten so real. Like I haven't played a, a video game, a hockey video game in like 10 years. And I remember you used to do it and it was, it would be so easy to like make the moves and whatever. And now it's really hard. Like the RFAs, like they, they grind you for every like 200 grand. And like, like you it's just, it's a real pain in the ass. And like, you you make you make these offers to the UFAs and they don't get back to you. it's it's July one then they don't get back to you for four days and then you get stuck without a goalie and it's like man this is <laughs> it's um, they've made it very realistic and like I, I'm not saying that 
I don't know. It just sometimes it's easier in your head to make some of these maneuvers than than it can be in practice. Just because, especially goalies, like goalies are really complicated because what the free agent landscape and what the trade landscape looks like for goalies is so different every year, year to year. Like it's some years there's a whole bunch of goalies, some years there's none. Um, I don't know. I think part of this question, and this goes back to what you were saying, Chris, about leaving so much of the season unanswered. If Anderson would have had a really strong final 10 games or whatever and played well in the playoffs, then this discussion isn't on the table. But we don't like we don't know what we don't know what would have happened. Or to this is the counterpoint I made to Jonas. What if he had a really terrible playoff to to bookend a terrible season? Then I think it's like even more on the table that you think, you know what, maybe we should look at some other options with this guy. Well, let's let's be even optimistic. Like if they play the playoffs in July and August, what can we read into any of those performances with three yeah. to four months off? I mean, good and bad. I don't know how we're going to view any of that. I mean, it's just such a strange time. I mean, this is to me. Whenever the off season starts, it's probably going to be the most interesting off season of our careers since we've been journalists to, to see how things go. Uh, you know, who moves around, how it, uh, that all works, and and you know, as a result of that, we might see some different kind of movement than we would normally expect. And and I, I think you're totally right that it's worth pursuing the goalie market and at least seeing you know, what can be done there. But if, if I learned anything from the part of 2019-20 I saw is that the Leafs have to do a better job in general with the goaltending market. And, and there's a lot yeah. of danger when you've built the kind of team they have if you don't if you don't have basically enough in net. I mean, it could, it could sink the whole operation. And even if you have individual guys scoring 50 goals and all those types of things. Well, I, like I'm not saying you go get like a $2 million guy to, to work in tandem with Campbell or anything like that extreme. But like, I, th- I think you're right. I think you need someone who's established and who's good. But I don't think it's impossible that there are other options than the guy they've got. You got to be careful, though, James. Like the grass is always greener. Like all the like none of those guys are even Leonard. Like Leonard is good and had some good seasons. But you can't slam dunk say he's any better than Anderson. Like you and you also don't want to be in a position like Carolina slam dunk. I I think he's better than Anderson. Yeah, his numbers are better. If you even look back to Buffalo, he had some pretty strong seasons other than the year when had to go to rehab. Which, and the other thing too, Jonas, is like if you're signing him, you're getting him for more than just the one year. Like so like for more. You, you the Leafs have a decision to make on their goalies no matter what. Like they gotta decide who their number one goalie is no matter what. The question is should they wait until twenty twenty one to do so? And if you're not hundred percent sold on Anderson being the guy to carry you through the playoffs and like he hasn't I mean to me he hasn't really shown anything in the playoff series he's played that he can do that. That's that's why I would accelerate the process and see if there's another option. The one thing yeah. too that I mean, and I don't know even know if this factors into the front office, but you know, Freddie seems to be at times a little bit of a sensitive guy, and and I wonder what it would be like for him to play out the final year of a contract and be getting questions about that, and yeah, uh, if he struggles at all, like that that is at least that there's a human side to having him enter a UFA year in that position, and and uh, it would be interesting anyway. I, you know, I. I don't think it's anywhere near the top of the decision-making tree, but it, it has to be something they could they consider how we would handle those that situation. Well, and there's always been talk with him that you want to have him as firmly planted as the number one guy, and that that's why they had those backups that were like McElhaney and Sparks that were clearly backup Hutchinson. They were clearly backups. I don't know if there's anything to that or not, but I mean, it seemed like he played relatively well when he was in the tandem with Gibson. But it'd be interesting if Campbell, you know, next year uh, plays really. Plays plays really well and pushes him a little bit. If that's good or bad for Anderson, right? 
Jack Campbell, he's been, uh, he was an interesting ad. He made a pretty strong impression in a small amount of time here. No kidding. I can't believe that the way that, I don't know. I mean, do you think he came in and his reputation with the other players was really good just because they've got the other LA guys there and stuff like that? Or, I mean, he just, he it won just the seems route. like that's his personality, James. Yeah. Like, he just seems so outgoing. I didn't know that about him. Like I'm so he's been around a long time and I didn't really, I, I don't know that, that was that isn't like his widespread reputation, at least from what, what I had heard. Yeah. I didn't know that about him either. Honestly. I mean, part of that maybe is that he's been in the Western conference, uh, you know, prior to this, but uh, man, like it, I've never seen anything quite like it, honestly, the way the guys took to him and, you know, seeing the way he is on social media, just seeing how he handled himself around the dressing room. I mean, that's yeah. I've never seen another goalie quite like him. He's he's a true original. Well, he's well, Chris. Gonna... You had that. Sorry, James. Like I just wanted to mention, Chris had that great story where he tried to start like a campaign of mustaches for Austin Matthews. Like who does that? <laughs> I was just gonna say, like a guy like that. Like if his play can be at a certain level and he's got the kind of demeanor that he does, he could be a backup in the league a long, long, long time. Because like. You know, a lot of times some teams need a backup that's not going to play a whole lot that can just be kind of a glue guy, and that's been that's been the way it's been for a long. Look at Curtis McElhinney. Look at you know Jamie McLennan was like that when he played. There's there's lots of examples, and it's it'll be interesting. Jack Campbell played pretty well in the games he played for the Leafs this year. I just I don't know what he is yet, just because it's he's had such a long road to get here, and he's had some really poor seasons before this year, and. Is he a guy that just figured it all out at 28 years old? I, I don't know. Me neither, but I, I appreciate him on the personality side anyway. Yeah. yeah. All right, boys, we, we've covered everyone on our, our little mini list. Um, are there any like parting thoughts, anything that's on your mind, anything you've watched, read that, that you want to shout out? CJ, you can go first. Are we going to go through the Marlies and Growlers and say which players are <laughs> back for them? Or? No, no, that's for that's for next week, Chris. We'll call you next week about okay. that. Okay, because I was ready. I did my homework. So, What do you think of Justin Brazil? <laughs> <laughs> he had a great year for the Growlers, and I'm sure he'll play for the Marlies next season. Yeah, so I got asked that question in a Q&A yesterday, and it's like, man, like the, the appetite for Leafs fans for her. Like, we get asked for more Growlers coverage all the time. It's unbelievable. Well, he's, he's an interesting story. He's just, he's still so far from potentially being an NHL or that we're not paying him attention, but you know, the Leafs signed him as a free agent after I think a 60 goal season in the OHL and mm. he's a big guy and, and he's the kind of project that, you know, this organization is taking on. So I do, I do think there's, there's something there, but I mean that you're right that the depth of the interest of Leaf fans is, I mean, it keeps us all employed. So thank you for that, everyone listening. And, uh, it's amazing how how much how people are tuned into all this stuff, even down the ECHL. Yeah, hopefully we're back in Newfoundland for camp here at some point. Oh man, I'd give anything to go to a bar with you guys right now. Honestly, <laughs> <laughs> like even just to go eat like some chicken wings and just have like one beer and just a few laughs. I would, I would. It just feels so foreign, and we're only four or five weeks into this. It's crazy. Well, I was actually thinking yesterday about kind of like the power rankings of what I miss the most, and that's. That's got to be, I mean, like hockey's probably number one. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like, but a hockey comes for us with like, it's our career. It's like our social life. It's like, like during the season, like, you know, the people who are your friends who you see most of the time are the people that you work with. Cause we work weekends. We work, we work nights all the time. We travel together. You know, it's, it's, it's a big absence right now for sure. 
Yeah, I miss Mark Masters too. I was glad you guys had him on the podcast. He's, uh, <laughs> that was fun. Yeah, we had a good. Yeah. He's one of the one of the shining lights on on the beat for me. Well, his wife was cooking like in the back, and we could hear it. Like I, I don't know if listeners could hear, it, but you could hear her like making making his lunch for him while he's doing the podcast. It was pretty funny. <laughs> All right. Well, I think we'll I think we'll leave it there, guys. Yeah. Um, we had some good. James sent out some questions, so I think we'll we'll do another podcast and get to those questions because there were some good ones. Um, but I think we'll leave it there. CJ, you're the best in the business, I would say. Uh, and thank you for coming on. That's kind. I hope you guys are staying well. I hope the listeners are uh, dialed in and doing what we're supposed to, and we'll all get through this together. James, any parting words? Your parting thoughts? Your <laughs> no. Your me. words of wisdom? Subscribe to The Athletic. Thanks for everyone that keeps signing up. Theathletic.com slash leaf report. All right. Stay well out there, guys. 